guys. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. If you are new to the podcast, this is the place where you get every single question that you have about nutrition and wellness trends answered. We are going through all of them episode by episode together. And your guys' suggestions have been amazing. This podcast episode is one of the most highly requested and suggested ones, so I can't wait to go through it with you guys. But I'm a registered dietitian. That's how I got into this place, how I'm giving you my educated opinion. And my name is Mallory Page. I think I just did that intro completely backwards, but I will say I was going to go get a matcha before I did this. And I was looking at my schedule and I really thought I was going to have time. I thought I was going to have time to finish up the research that I wanted to do and then put together the research articles and then come in and record after going to get my matcha, which I was going to go to Summer Moon. And if you live in Austin or if you visited, you know how good it is. It is the moon milk matcha or latte with coffee. You have to get either a whisper or a fourth of moon milk unless you like things really sweet. I'm, I'm a medium sweet gal. I'm more of a salty gal. Like give me a potato chip, give me guac, give me chips. I could eat those all day, but it is so good. So I thought I was going to have time to do that. I was mistaken. So hopefully it all goes well. I'm just kidding. I know it will. I do want to say that in my last episode on intuitive eating, I missed the rating part at the end. If you don't know, I do a rating on a scale of one to 10 of how diet culture, how diet culture-esque every single topic that we go over is. And I forgot it for intuitive eating. If I had to just do spur of the moment what I think intuitive eating is, I think it'd be two different ratings again. I think intuitive eating in itself is probably like a two, maybe. But intuitive eating, sometimes how I see it online, can go upwards to at least, I mean, it can go really high, but I would say like a five. But I would say a two is a good rating for it. It's not, not entrenched in diet culture, but it can still be subject to diet culture. Now that we got that out of the way, let's actually get into the topic to today for today because this is going to be one of those actual deep dives. So you guys know on every podcast episode, we do a deep dive, but some of them have more research that goes into them, and this is one of those. So if you've listened to the gut episode, then you are familiar with the kind of formatting that we're going to do for this. So intermittent fasting, that's what we're talking about. Intermittent fasting is very complex. And I just want to preface this episode with that. I have taken a lot of time to try to break this down and what intermittent fasting is, the different types of intermittent fasting, talking about the actual research that goes into it, the difference between men and women doing this, how it can affect your hormones, the the studies that have showed success, what it can be successful for. We talk about all of it, including your guys' opinions and experiences, my take on it, and all of the things. But even going through this, I'm not going to be able to cover every single nuance and I'm not even going to be able to talk about every single thing. And I want to give a huge, huge disclaimer to start this off. There is fasting for religious purposes and I am not talking about fasting for religious purposes. That is a completely different subject. I am in no way ever going to speak about someone's cultural practices That is not my business, and this is only about intermittent fasting in the way of eating that people typically utilize most of the time for weight loss or for ways of being quote-unquote healthier. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's dive into it because we've got a lot to cover. 
So what is it? What the heck is intermittent fasting? I can't remember when intermittent fasting became popular, but I would say when I was thinking about it, that it was probably around 2018 that it started to really come into the whole world again. Maybe, maybe not. But I think intermittent fasting in itself is honestly a pretty old concept. But I think that this resurgence of it happened more recently, within the last few years, four or so years. But it's an eating pattern during which you refrain from consuming any calories for an extended period of time. So usually this period lasts between 12 and 40 hours, but it totally depends. There are a lot of different reasons why people say that you should do this, but the most common that you'll see is that by prolonging the period when your body has burned through the calories consumed during your last meal, it will start to burn fat. So you prolong that period from the last time that you had calories, and because you've done that, instead of using the energy reserves from eating, it uses the fat reserves that you have left. So that is the whole concept that they talk about when it comes to intermittent fasting. Now, I will say there's a lot of claims that what I like to call the health warriors make. So who are the health warriors? They're typically naturopathic doctors, functional medicine people, all of them. There's so many things that they say. They will say it enhances mitochondria function, that it leads to cell death and turnover, which will help with anti-aging. I mean, I swear they act like if you intermittent fast, you'll become the next lord and savior. I mean, seriously, the amount of claims that they have is pretty wild. So I can't even speak to all of those, but I will explain a little bit more about that as we go through this. Now, I do want to mention there are a lot of different ways to intermittent fast. And I don't even know if intermittent fasting was truly created by one specific person because there's honestly a lot of different methods that a lot of different people have spoke about. So first one, time restricted eating. So this involves fasting every day. It can be for 12 hours or it can be longer and then you eat in the remaining hours. So for example, a lot of people do the 16-8 method. So you fast for 16 hours And then you eat during an eight-hour window where you can fit in two, three meals or more. But honestly, there's no specific number of meals, at least in just the general time-restricted eating. There's also the 5-2 diet. So this involves eating as much as you can, like normally, or not eating as much as you can, but just eating as much as you would like normally, five days of the week, but then restricting your calorie intake to 500 to 600 on the remaining two days. This was created by Michael Mosley. I honestly don't know of many people that do this, but it is one of the intermittent fasting type of diets. There's the eat, stop, eat, which involves a 24-hour fast once a week or twice per week. There's alternate day fasting, which is pretty self-explanatory. You fast one day and then not the other. This was Dr. Krista Varade. Varade? I hope I'm not saying that wrong. I always try to get it right. And then there's even the warrior diet. So this was first popular... um, kind of diet form of intermittent fasting. And it involves eating small amounts of raw fruits and vegetables during the day and then eating one meal at night. So it just, there's a lot of different ones. And this isn't even the fullest extent. I know there are other intermittent fasting things that people do and practice. 
I will say that I imagine that most of you that have heard about it have heard of this 16-8 or at least choosing your quote-unquote eating window. And that's most of what we're going to be talking about within this episode as well because I find that that is most often what's studied in research and all of that. So the bottom line of all of these though is at some point you're skipping a meal in some way. Most people do this at breakfast so they skip breakfast then there's other people that do it where they eat earlier in the morning and they skip the dinner or the later period. I have heard of every single way that people go about this. If you're like me, at this point you're probably wondering why people do intermittent fasting. And it's a slightly different answer for everybody as I was alluding to earlier. There are some people that do this more for the health benefit that they see from these functional medicine doctors online. But I would say the majority of people that I have met are doing it for calorie reduction and therefore weight loss. And the reason why intermittent fasting became popular when it comes to weight loss is because it can be much harder for people to make up the calories that they lose when not eating a meal. So if you don't eat at breakfast, there are people that with through their day do not make up for that meal when they skip it. Now, the question that has been coming up more recently around intermittent fasting, though, is, is this methodology safe? Is it almost too good to be true? And if that is too good to be true, is it safe for men? Is it safe for women? Or what makes it too good to be true? I will just say to start off, There is no specific right or wrong answer to this, but we're going to explore a little bit more of the research and you can help to decide on your own as we go through it. But the main thing that I want to even mention before we go into that is the whole idea of intermittent fasting is actually not a very well-researched topic in comparison to other things that we utilize, right? So I'm going to give the example of just generalized weight loss by caloric restriction. There are so many studies about this, guys. Tons of them. Doesn't necessarily mean they're all right, but there are a lot of them out there. There's a lot that we can go through. They've done long-term studies on this. They do huge participant sizes on systemic reviews. Intermittent fasting in 2016 had the systemic review done and at that point in time, there were no studies longer than six months And there were only 981 subjects that had been studied for that fit the qualifications of these systemic review, the systemic review that they did. That is not a lot of people. Think about 981 people. My high school had more people than that, right? So that is a very, very small group of people. Now, that was in 2016. So, of course, there are definitely much more studies that have come out around this topic. But even in terms of long-term studies, the longest-term study we could have even had at this point of how intermittent fasting can affect you in the long term would be six years old, right? Because there were none at that time that they could use. So, that definitely makes it a very new concept and new science. There are other studies that we have that have gone on for 20, 30 years And we have a lot more information on how they affect us in the long term. And I think that this is very important to remember as we're going through this. The most of the time, or most of the time, not the most of the time, 
the intermittent fasting is studied. It is studied in the sense of obesity. And I do, again, want to say that obesity to me is not something that I believe in. I don't believe in these classifications based off BMI. I don't believe in needing to lose weight. I believe in focusing on how you feel. All of the same things that I stand for are not necessarily what's represented in this study, but these are the terminologies that they use, and so I'm going to utilize those to have it make the most sense and to be the most similar to the articles. What they found is that intermittent fasting was successful. It created metabolic changes, and it led to weight loss. You may be wondering, what the heck are metabolic changes? And I got you. Metabolic changes are what happens. Well, actually, let's just start off with metabolics. Like, what the heck? Your metabolic panel and all that stuff. This is what happens when you go to the doctor, and they take your blood, and then they give you that kind of overview of all the things, right? It has your cholesterol. It has your blood pressure. It has your LDL, your HDL, all that type of stuff. That is your metabolic panel. And obviously, when we see a change in these metabolic categories, we're looking for a positive change to the ones that we're observing, right? So let's say we want cholesterol to go down if it was high and blood pressure to go down if it was high. And we want HDL cholesterol to go up because that's a beneficial one. So anyways, that's just a random example. I'm not saying they were looking at those in that study. But something that they noticed is that although intermittent fasting was successful, and they did find this to be successful for both men and women, they also found that there was not a noteworthy difference between this type of caloric restriction and other types of caloric restriction. So this could just be putting yourself in a $300 or $400 400 calorie deficit each day. So there's not a notable difference between those two things. To go further with that, when they looked at this for women, there were some red flags that started to show up. And I know that I just said in the last article they didn't find a notable difference between men and women, but something that I want you to flag here is in most of the studies that have looked at intermittent fasting, they are just looking at weight loss and metabolic changes. They're not looking at the big picture. They're not looking at the long-term effects. And that is where the red flags around women started to come up. And I want to go into this because I know a lot of you guys are women in my audience. And I know that this was something that I was very fascinated by because even if it does work well for men, that doesn't mean it does for women. We know that women are so often neglected in studies and they don't want to include us because our menstrual cycles and all this ridiculous stuff. And so when this started to came out, I knew I had to dive into it and I want to dive into it with you guys. I will say that this is a little bit confusing. It's very information dense and we're trying to sift together different pieces. I actually listened to a YouTube video by Abby Sharp and she goes through this and she explains her whole thing about intermittent fasting so well. I will not do it as good of justice as her in this specific section, but I'm going to expand more upon other aspects that she wasn't able to talk about, but I will totally link her YouTube video so that you can watch that as well. When it comes to intermittent fasting, there are two things that intermittent fasting is known for or that it does in your body. So it leads to caloric restriction if you are eating less within the time frame than you typically would. And second, it leads to indifference and energy availability. This is super important. So energy availability, guys, is your energy consumed, so what you've eaten, what you've taken in in that day, minus your energy use. And this is both for exercise and health and vitality. 
just to give you an example of that, those two are added together. Just know in your mind they're separated, but it's not that important for this situation. So what's interesting about energy availability is most of us know about energy availability within the day, right? So my fitness pal, my worst enemy that you guys know, I just do not like it all. It required a song. It will come on and tell you, okay, you need to reduce your calories by X amount in order to sustain weight loss, which drives me nuts. Don't even get me into the whole conversation about how ridiculous my fitness pal is and the random stuff that they choose and all that stuff. But that's what it does. It is targeting energy availability. It's trying to change the energy consumed versus energy used equation. But what most people don't know is this can also happen on an hour to hour basis throughout the day. And when your energy availability is low, whether that be within the day or that be within the hour, it can downregulate health functions that we need. And these are very important ones, I may say so myself. And so when we look at how this can affect us in an hour per hour basis, this is when it gets really interesting in terms of women. So let's give an example. Let's say that you eat 400 calories at 12 p.m., so the middle of the day, but by 3 o'clock p.m., you have already burned 700 calories, whether that just be from being awake, walking around, maybe you worked out that morning, but you still didn't eat until 12 p.m. because you're intermittent fasting. Then at that point in time, you would be in what we call a negative energy balance by 300 calories. And when you're in a negative energy balance of more than 300 calories, we know for very long-standing research that this can cause menstrual dysfunction and irregularity. So when they look at hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is loss of your period, typically due to overexercise, under-eating, and that then affects your hormones, we've seen this play out. But now they're looking at it in terms of how this affects women's hormones even from something like an intermittent fasting. Because typically when we wake up and eat breakfast in the morning and then we eat lunch again at 12 p.m., we have more in our system to sustain us throughout the day. And so we prevent that dipping into that lower energy balance. That that kind of critical threshold is an easier way to think about it. So when you think about having chronically low energy availability, not just in the day-to-day, but throughout the day, this can have a negative effect on your hormones and then also your fertility, right? The reason why this happens, and this is where it gets a little bit confusing, but just for those scientific interested girlies, I'm going to explain it in a simplified form. What it does is it affects something called your gonadotropin releasing hormone. When it does that, it then alters the production of estrogen and progesterone. They have actually found that in just two to three days of regularly going into chronically low energy availability, so this would mean restricting or not eating enough continually, but even in just two to three days, gonadotropin releasing hormone secretion can drop 20 to 30%. That is crazy. And I just want to mention this because I often think that we don't recognize enough how quickly these things can change in our body. We think, oh, it's not going to be hurtful to restrict for this event or whatever it is. No, it is. Your body knows better. We know It knows that this is not good for it. 
When we do these prolonged fasting periods as well, even just upwards of 72 hours, it can also cause an endocrine response similar to hypothalamic amenorrhea that we were just talking about. So this is another study. I do want to say all of these are different studies, and I do have them linked, but if we went through each of them, first of all, it'd be super confusing, but also it just wouldn't always make sense. So I'm combining all this information together, and you can look through the studies if you would like to on your own in the show notes. But back to what we were saying... The reason why this can elicit a similar elicit a similar response to hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is your loss of period and all the stuff I was explaining before, is because it messes up leptin. And when leptin is messed up, so when there's low levels of leptin, this affects us because low leptin equals to infertility and miscarriage. The reason why is because it affects LH release, which you know, you don't need to know the specifics of that, but just know it affects something that affects your hormones. And the way that we keep leptin up is by making sure that we have an adequate body weight and that we're not restricting. And so all of this first part being said, what intermittent fasting can do to our body is because we are prolonging eating for such long periods of time, whether that be just within a day or whether that be within multiple days, it can do a huge disservice to our entire hormone production and preservation process because your body is basically saying, I have to save you. And in order to save you from these chronically low levels that you're hitting, I have to therefore affect these other processes. But maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Mallory, I literally don't care about infertility. I don't care about having kids. Like, so why do I care about this? Well, something else to remember is that even if you don't want children, low estrogen that we obviously spoke to in this whole process, right, where you have the gonadotropin releasing hormone that decreases and therefore it likes less estrogen and estrogen, less estrogen and affects your cycle. Low estrogen can also affect bone density. So studies actually found, a study found, let me be clear with that, that bones can actually be affected in just five days of not eating enough, guys. Five days. It can seem like these things take so long, but in actuality, they don't. And our bones are so important for us, especially when we're growing as women. After we hit the age of around 25 or 30, our bone mineral, it's, it's not going back up, okay? So the effects that we have on it when we are young will affect us for the rest of our life. So you know what's wild to me about this? This is a little bit of a tangent, but honestly so important. There's so many freaking functional health doctors out there, even dietitians that talk about weight loss, just an overall society obsession with being thin and losing weight and doing anything, right, to get to these low levels of calories in order to do that. And what is it for? Because they say that we need to lose weight for our longevity and for our health. And yet they'll push this upon people that are in a healthy, happy place in their body. And you know what they do? Their body says, eh, this isn't enough for me. That's why I was staying here at my set point where I was happy. And then next thing you know, it's affecting bone density. And you know what has a bigger effect on your health than a weight that actually works for your body and that you feel happy at? It's your bones. 
Like literally nothing has a bigger effect than your bones. The highest mortality rate that we often see when people come into the hospital of like a physical um, indication that things aren't going well is a hip break because it totally messes up function. And most of those people have had low bone density from a young age. Wow. I didn't know I was going to go on that tangent, but I just had to because sometimes you make these connections and I'm just like, oh, diet culture is so freaking crazy. Anyways, <laughs> back to what we were saying. Let's say you're, even with my rant, you're like, I don't care about kids. I don't care about having strong bones. I want to live my freaking life. I want to be free. Well, even if you don't care about bones, even if you're not a woman, even if you don't care about your cycle, even if all of those things, this can still have a huge effect on your overall body because of how it affects your resting metabolic rate. Your resting metabolic rate is basically your metabolism. That's that's just a fancy word for it. What happens when you're not eating enough is your body has to go into overdrive to keep you safe because it's not meant to be there, right? We need enough fuel to maintain these processes. And we don't have enough fuel to meet our resting metabolic rate, which our resting metabolic rate, our resting energy expenditure is literally impossible for us to achieve because it helps us to breathe, helps us to digest, it helps keeps our heart pumping. So we couldn't even achieve that in a day. But imagine you go under that, right? Then it's like, holy heck, I can't do all these things. I got to shut things off. We got to preserve here. And so because you've affected it, your cortisol, your stress hormone goes higher because your body is stressed out. Your thyroid thyroid hormones get all out of whack. Your metabolism starts to slow down because you're giving it a lower energy level. And so it's saying, okay, well, if you're going to give me this, I'm going to try to preserve it. I'm going to protect myself. This goes all the way back to the freaking caveman days. Now, I don't really like when people res- like go back to the caveman days because that's how people justify Whole30 and stuff, which I think is insane. But when we think about the actual physiological adaptations that humans have, they do this because during times where they would have more food, right? They were hunting. They had stuff. They were eating at a different energy level. Now, when they didn't have any food or they were in kind of more of a slow period, they needed to adjust to be able to preserve enough body fat. So they slowed that metabolism down. So now when you try to go and lose weight, if that's what you're trying to do, or even if you were just doing this for the health reasons, next thing you know, it becomes harder to do so because your body is trying to hang on to more food. Your hunger level is probably still the same because your body is literally begging you to eat more. So you could be eating more, your metabolism gets slower. Therefore, not only may you not lose weight or have that bodily change, you actually could have a stagnant line or you could gain weight depending on how it is. Now, I know that we don't often talk talk about these topics, but when it comes to something like intermittent fasting, I know that this is what most people are thinking, guys. I know that you are. And I've been there with intermittent fasting. I'll give you guys my example in a second. But I just wanted to give all of that information because when you talk about everything that we just said around intermittent fasting... It makes it a lot more clear as to why this may not work. And not a lot of times do we hear it all put together in one pretty little package, or at least I try to make it as pretty as possible. And so hopefully that that helps to understand why this can happen. Bottom line, you don't want your body, whether you are a man or a female, going under 
under that kind of critical threshold in terms of your energy availability. And when we do that, it can really wreak havoc on your body. And it's not something you can calculate in MyFitnessPal and understand. It's not something that we have this exact formula to do. It's just something that can be very hard to avoid. Now, I don't want to make you guys afraid that if you forget to eat lunch or breakfast one day or start calculating out how much you're eating in a day and how much you burn, that's not at all what I'm saying. It's just with something like this, it shows you how incredibly complicated our body really is. And instead of overcomplicating it by doing all of these things, it can be a lot easier to just simplify it. I do want to make note that as I've alluded to many a time, I know that there are people that do not do intermittent fasting in terms of changing their body or weight loss. What I will say is we do not have many well-researched articles or we don't have many well, we don't have many studies. What am I trying to say? We don't have many studies that have researched these other effects that people speak to around the cell turnover and death and all of this beneficial stuff. There are some out there, but I don't really think we need to get into every single one of them and refuting and proving each claim because of what I want to speak to in the next section and also because of everything I just shared for you, with you. In my mind, even if you have some cell turnover, even if you're, you know, what is it that they say? Like, even if your metabolism increases, which after everything I went through, how does that make sense? Even if there's all these beneficial things that they speak to, is it really worth the risk if you don't do this properly? I want to give you guys a story about me. <laughs> so I did intermittent fasting for, I don't know, a few, a few weeks, maybe. I wouldn't even necessarily call it intermittent fasting. I don't want to get into the specifics because it was a very, very bad time in my life, honestly. And I don't want to give you guys the ideas of what I was doing. But just know it was absolutely ridiculous. And I felt miserable. Literally, I was so miserable and I was so unhappy doing what I was doing. I never felt good. I always felt tired. I was totally messing up my hunger and fullness cues. I was convincing myself that I felt good, but I was actually ending up overeating at night, which I think this is hilarious. I wasn't overeating. I was literally just eating what my body needed because I was so hungry and I wasn't giving myself enough during the day. But we think we're overeating. We think we don't have willpower, all this stuff. And also I did have some binges too because I felt like it was really messing with my mental satiety because I wasn't having the meals I used to have. And I loved breakfast and I loved food. I love food so much and I wasn't getting in the same amount during the day. Anyways, I was doing this over the summer when I had a really flexible schedule. But I also remember there were times where I had to wake up early to go to teach and I would still be waiting to eat until later. And I remember there were times where I literally thought I was going to throw up, but also there was this theme at the time where people were still putting like ghee and coconut oil in their black coffee and they would say how that was fine because 
you know, it didn't like raise your blood sugar. So you were still in a fasting state and blah, 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 blah. So I was doing that. And now just thinking about that, I think it's so funny. I don't think that's as big of a thing now because it literally does not make sense. When you think about this critically, how are you are fat? How are you fasting if you are eating? Like literally what? But anyways, I was doing that and I'd be so lightheaded. I couldn't focus. All I'd be doing is thinking about that next meal. And yet I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being so healthy. So then I did it within my dietetic internship when I had a little bit less flexible of a schedule. You know, I was working, you know, typical hours. I think I did this during my wick rotation one time or something like this. Just one time I tried it. I wanted to experiment with how it would make me feel because we had been talking about it in school and someone was really speaking highly to it in the program. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this not because I want to do it, but because I want to know how it would make me feel. I wouldn't suggest doing this, but at the time it seemed like a good thought because I was just like by myself. And I remember that day, it was horrible. Oh my gosh. I remember trying to wait for my lunch. I was starving. I ate my lunch. I was still hungry after it. And then I had to wait until dinner and I had to drive home. And so I was even more hungry. I was eating like every snack in sight. Then I remember I ended up eating all this food that night. And I was just like, this proves to me exactly what I thought. Even if someone else in my program, some other, you know, dietetic intern, this works for them. I know this doesn't work for me. And also the other part of this is I already knew it didn't work for me because the psychological reasons of this. And that is what I want to get into next. But before we get into that, let me just go through some of your all's, y'all's, y'all's, y'all's thoughts about this whole intermittent fasting ordeal. Because I asked you guys in my question box on Instagram. I try to do this every single time. And you guys came through strong. I will say though, right now, which yeah, this is coming out tomorrow. So yeah, on Thursday, right now we're still on the Instagram thing where it's like glitching and the stories, you have to re-watch all of the stories and it is kind of the worst. So not as many answers as usual, but still a lot of great answers. So some of you guys spoke to the fact that you had your own experience with it. So Teresa said, I got gastritis and acid reflux. Savannah said, I was 24-7 thinking about food. Julia says, to me, it was nothing more than another form of restriction. It made no sense. I don't know this girl's exact username or how to pronounce it, but she said, hungry. (laughs) In a quote, she said, help. Someone else said, in the mornings, I was happy that I had done the quote-unquote important part of fasting, but then at night it made me binge. So I would give it a solid zero out of 10. (laughs) And then she said her mom actually told her that she was getting allergies when she was doing it. Or no, she was doing it for allergies, but doesn't seem like it worked. Now there's, oh, and then someone also said, Victoria, she said it literally caused her ED. So other people said, just in general, why they didn't like it. Someone said, it's literally just skipping a meal. Maria said, I fast every night for eight to nine hours while I sleep, which is so true. Like when we have breakfast in the morning, it is a break fast. So we already are fasting in general. Someone else said the same thing. Isn't that just sleep? And then in uh, music signs, 
Oh, Alyssa is her name. She said, feels like diet culture. I feel like I just have a feeling she was singing that in my voice. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like we have that connection that she just knows that I was doing that. Jewel says it triggered my ED so hard. How long I have fasted was all I could think about. It was addicting trying to push it out further. I've heard that a lot too. Keegan says, low-key feel like it's just a way for people to justify restricting calories and the AM and PM binging. There were so many other good responses, but most people said the same things. Now, the people I've talked to that have had positive experience with it or have convinced themselves they've had positive experiences with it, a lot of the time are honestly men. I would say that men naturally fast a lot of the time because they end up sleeping in or they just don't feel themselves and they'll say, oh yeah, I intermittent fast. It's super helpful for me. But I can't even tell you now how many men I've worked with on adding in meals that feel so much better. They think that it's helpful for them, but it doesn't actually end up to a positive result. And I'm not trying to negate that there are people that have 100% had positive reactions to intermittent fasting. Every single person is different. And I'm not trying to take away from your positive experience if you've had one. But in our audience, right, most people are struggling with their relationship with food or have at least in the past or even are just mindful about not wanting to struggle with it. And this is where the psychological aspect comes in that a lot of you guys were alluding to. In my opinion, if you have ever, and I mean ever, struggled with your relationship with food, body image, or exercise, intermittent fasting is not something you should do. I just don't think it is. And I would I would really challenge yourself to ask, why do I think I need to do this? And if it's the health reasons, go back to what I was saying before of like, do I actually know that these health benefits that actually don't have any research really backing them that is longer term enough and has a big enough uh, sample size is going to outweigh the negative benefits that we know to be proven that we've talked about? If it's for the change in your body, you guys already know my opinion on this, but I just think that it's so wild how we will force our body to change even when it doesn't need to and it doesn't want to. And then when we embark on something like this, it will change, but it's not sustainable. And that's the thing I also think about intermittent fasting is it's just not sustainable for most people. Because what if you want to wake up and have a freaking breakfast with your partner or your mom? Or what if you have a test in the morning and you need to be really mentally attuned for that? Or what if you're traveling and you get jet lagged? Then what does it look like? And or even if it's not jet lagged, like you're traveling, you have this long break. What does that look like? Right? There's just so many things where you end up having to revolve your life around food. And this is exactly what I do not like. Food should not be something that we revolve our life around. Our life is meant to be our life and food is meant to fit into that. And in my opinion, for most people, intermittent fasting, it just can't do that especially if you've ever struggled. And I don't even know how many people I can tell you. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of women I know have at least tried intermittent fasting at some time and it has been a part of what has made their ED worse or what has created their ED. And so this is exactly why if you've ever been there or if you just don't want to be there, if you don't want to think about food all the time, it's just not worth it especially with all of the research that we have coming out that is actually more 
you know, long-standing and informative, why would we want to take the risk? I know in Abby Sharp's video, she speaks to the fact that the guy that she was talking to that was a real expert on this, he said that if you're actually trying to change your body and get it to a more optimal place, you'd be better off just eating throughout the day, just fueling yourself throughout the day. And again, I'm not a fan of focusing on things in order to change your body, but when I think about what what makes most people feel good, because that's what I like to focus on, I like to focus on the actual outcomes. I want to feel more energized. I want to feel more mentally in tune. I want to feel more, you know, just, what's the word that I'm looking for? Just, just good. I just want to feel good. When you go to focus on that, I guarantee you that intermittent fasting and fasting for 16 hours a day is not what's naturally going to come to your body. It's just not. It's not what's naturally going to come to your body. So this is exactly why I believe fully that intermittent fasting is a diet. I do. Some people say it's not. Some people say it's a lifestyle. Yes, of course, I'm not talking about it in terms of religious reasons, again, but I think that it is a diet because we are doing something that our body does not naturally want to do and it is not meant to do. And we are going against most of the time our intuitive cues. And on that note, the last thing that I want to say on my little soapbox about this is I often have clients that come to me and they tell me that they do intermittent fasting naturally because they don't have hunger cues in the morning. But the thing about this is the reason why you don't have hunger cues is most likely because you are restricting or the way in which you're eating is not consistent enough. So I would challenge you to consistently eat all three of your meals, preferably two snacks, at least just eating maybe even every three to four hours as a baseline. Of course, everybody's going to be different and do that over a few months and then come back to me and tell me if you don't have hunger cues for in the morning. Most of the time we say we don't have hunger cues, but then guess what? You find yourself quote-unquote overeating later on in the day or quote-unquote binging at another point in time and that is exactly why it just doesn't work so this episode has been jam-packed but in terms of tips for this I think the tip is really just don't do something that doesn't feel natural if you are listening to this and you are one of those few intermittent fasting lovers that you have done it for years and it is truly the key to success for you and you never find yourself overeating, never find it restrictive to your lifestyle or it doesn't ever just interfere, the more power to you. But personally, after reading through all of this, what I saw are the actual studied and backed claims are that it can help with weight loss, which I don't believe personally is what we should be focusing on. I think we should be focusing on feeling our best and doing that in a way that feels sustainable to us. Second, there are very proven benefits of how it can be negative towards women's hormones. Even if they're not specifically studying intermittent fasting, we know this exact stuff about energy availability. So that doesn't even need to have the intermittent fasting tied into it because we can imagine how intermittent fasting can fit in. If you're a man... It could affect all these other things that we were talking about and even affect the exact process that you're trying to achieve by lowering your resting metabolic rate. And overall, the psychological aspects of it for most people are just not beneficial. So do what feels natural for you. Don't listen to diet culture. Don't fall into the trap. Don't listen to the health warriors, please, if you do anything. Don't listen to the health warriors that try to convince you how fasting is amazing Guys, these are the same people that were telling us stuff like low fat is the best for us in the past and 
telling people to do food sensitivity tests and just literally stuff that doesn't make any sense, okay? So don't listen to them. And do you. Wow, what great tip from Mallory. I hope that this was a helpful episode for you. And the last thing we have to do is give this a rating. Ooh, again, this is not going to be in the religious sense of fasting. This is intermittent fasting in the war of diet form, the things I discussed. I am going to say it, it. Honestly, I think it's really high. I think intermittent fasting is an eight because I think that it was created solely for the purpose of weight loss. And I think anything that was really created for the purpose of weight loss goes back to diet culture and the entire system. I think a lot of people aren't going to like that answer because there's so many people that think it's more of a lifestyle, lifestyle, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is. So I really hope that this was informative, interesting. When I did the gut health podcast, you guys said that you really loved these research ones where I put a lot of information into it. Let me know if this was digestible though, still, if it was interesting to listen to. I try to make it fun by sprinkling in, do you hear my nails? <laughs> by sprinkling in some fun stories and other things. I am more than happy to make these more research-dense ones. I just like to mix them in with other ones. But always, always feel free to submit topics to me that you want to see. It makes my whole life when I get to create content that you guys are interested in. There's so many, honestly, trends going on right now, too. I feel like I should just do, like, a little mini-sode on, like, the Kelly Ripa scandal and the balsamic vinegar coke thing. Why was that a thing? I did talk about that on my Instagram. So if you want to go see that, you can. But that's enough of me yabbering. I feel like I'm just in a talkative mood today. And I also did talk very fast. I promise I do not speed these up. I literally just get, I just get a going. I'm just kidding. If you could leave a rating on and review on the podcast, it would be the absolute world, world to me. And I've had so much fun doing with this, this with you guys. I'm getting a little brain dead. I should have gotten my matcha. Maybe I have time because I have 25 minutes to my next meeting. So I gotta go. See you guys next week. Love you. Bye.